Welcome to the In Truth, In Christ podcast. This is podcast number 41, Covering Sin versus Cleansing Sin. This is a free podcast dedicated to the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a witness of the truth as found by the Spirit of God within God's Holy Word, meant to challenge all who hear to search the Scriptures diligently, asking themselves these questions. Am I hearing fact or fiction? Is this true or false? Are the things being said proven in the Scriptures or not? In doing so is my belief that many will come to the acknowledgement of the truth and thereby choose their final destination. As written in the Bible, in the book of Joshua, choose this day whom you will serve. Joshua 24:15. All scriptural references herein, unless otherwise noted, can be found in the authorized King James Version Bible. Covering Sin versus Cleansing Sin All right, many people know and understand that the law of Moses was given to the children of Israel to tide them over until Christ should come and deliver the truth to them. Amen? John 1.17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And then in John 4.25, the woman here at the well speaking, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will teach he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Alright? And then in Galatians chapter three, nineteen through twenty-three, it says, Where, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up onto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. So there you have it. You know, the law could not save man, could it? Nope, it was just there. It was just there to to bring God's people to the place where Jesus would arrive on the scene, right? Basically, the law, and this is assuming that you practiced it perfectly, you know, down the letter, Paul um, had that confession that, you know, concerning the law, he was blameless. You know, assuming that one of God's people, and the law was given to the children of Israel, okay? So it was given only um, to God's people. That's important to know as well. Um, but God's ways are God's ways. They don't change, do they? So the way God views his children and, and, and you know, the children of Israel and the way he views us as um, if you're a Gentile, like I would have been, um, he he's still right is right and wrong is wrong. He still he still thinks the same way. Okay, judgment's judgment. God's righteousness is God's righteousness, isn't it? Okay, so anyhow, assuming that one of his children were to keep that law to the letter through the sacrifices and the life that was ordained therein, um, it covered their sins. Okay, so there you have it, covering sin. Now, what happened if their sin was covered? Well. 
couple things. One was that God, I mean, God could see it, right? God can see all things. However, God wouldn't visit their sin because it was covered. And um, their shame wasn't open, okay? And that was through their obedience, right? It was through their obedience to God that it was covered. So um, it hit them from a short time from their conscience so that they could seek to serve God. But it didn't hide their sins from God. Now, the problem, of course, is that if sins are covered, um, they are still there. They are still, in fact, there. And they're just hiding under, at that time, the blood of bulls and goats. Okay? You see, though, the life of a bull or a goat or ram or whatever it is that they sacrificed um, is not equal to the life of a man, is it? This is because man was created in the image and likeness of God himself. The animals were not. Okay, for this reason, the life of a perfect animal, animal, which is what they were told under the law they had to sacrifice. Okay, the life of a perfect animal, one that didn't have blemish, even though it was considered perfect to the eye and to the flesh and according to man's standards and God's um, in the flesh. Anyhow, standards of of the outward appearance. Um. Even though they were perfect in that way, they couldn't cleanse the imperfections of the man that made the sacrifice. They could only cover it. Okay? Now, if you were listening there, we just said that the man that was performing the sacrifice was doing it for themselves and the flesh of their families. And it's important there that we understand it was for their flesh. Covered the sins of the flesh. You know, the, the law only dealt with the carnal man, didn't it? It did deal with them spiritually in a spiritual sense because it was dealing with them on God's level, what what God wanted, what, what was right in God's sight. But the carnal mind, the carnal man couldn't understand the things of God because the truth wasn't yet delivered. Okay. Jesus wasn't here yet. But the sacrifice that they made was the work of their own hands. Even though, even though it was part of the law, It was the work of their own hands. However, God, even though they did it themselves, God had respect toward this practice because it was done out of obedience to his law. Did you understand what I'm saying? They did the sacrifice themselves, but God respected it because it was what he asked for them to do. It was obedience. Okay. The unfortunate thing is that it did not completely justify man in his sight. Um, so for that reason, they could never dwell in the full presence of God being under the law. And, you know, when he comes back for his church, you better believe we're going to be in the full presence of God, right? So man, if they were perfect concerning the law, as Paul said he was at one point, um, they weren't justified um, to the point where they could stand in God's presence. Okay, and we... Very, I, I know I do. I hope you do as well. We very much so want to be in the presence of God. Okay. This is why there was a veil covering the entrance of the holiest of all tabernacle in the Old Testament times. Because not just anybody could walk in there whenever they wanted to. Could they? They had to be in a certain state. And, you know, if they, if they weren't <laughs> and they walked in there, they had bells on them, right? So they could hear them and they, they had a, a rope around them and they would die and um, they would drag them out. All right. So as we said, those sacrifices of the blood of the bulls and goats and so forth, 
couldn't completely justify man because they only dealt with the flesh and did not work with the internal man, okay? Which is the where the root of the sin problem really is, isn't it? You see, we're a, we're a three-part being, three-fold being. We have a heart, right? Heart, soul, a mind, which the Bible calls your spirit, by the way, and flesh. Thank the Lord um, that this change, though, that, that we couldn't be completely justified under the law, but he sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we through him and through faith in him and his word can be partakers of this holiest of all position with the Lord. Okay, and, and in that position, sin, folks, is cleansed from our being. All right. Um, let's read here in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, I want to read verse 1 through 7. It says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to have been offered? Of course they would. Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Right? You can't seek God with something on your conscience that shouldn't be there, can you? But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goat and that of that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of this book, it is written, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. There's Christ right there, God's word speaking to us being prophesied before he even got here, right? In the flesh. All right, but the blood of bulls and goats, as you can see, can't take away sin or cleanse sin. When you, If you take dirt out of a garment, you've cleansed it, right? But if there's still a stain there, did you really remove all the dirt? No, there's still some dirt left behind, isn't there? There's a stain. But the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, to go deeper, I have a question for you here, okay? What is the purpose of a covering, a covering in general, okay? When you place a bandage over a wound, does the wound magically disappear? Nope. I mean, to the eye, to the naked eye, it does, right? Our flesh can't see it anymore, can we? But that doesn't mean it's not still there, right? The effects of that wound still there, aren't they? they it still hurts a lot of times. The bandage just simply covers the wound, doesn't it? Now, the wound can no longer be seen, but the bandage actually protects the wound as well. Now, sometimes maybe a wound needs protected, okay, for a, a, a period of time. Maybe there's a good reason, okay? But did you know that many wounds will never completely heal if they're left covered? To answer the question that was asked, a covering hides nakedness and shame, right? Does that sound familiar? And what if the things that are causing the shame in the first place are never addressed? The wound, it's never addressed, it's never healed, okay? Well, then the shame will never go away because the wound will always be there, won't it? 
Now you can keep covering it every day, but people are going to see the Band-Aid eventually. They're going to recognize, hey, that, that person's had a Band-Aid on their arm for a very long time. What's, what's wrong with your arm? And if you don't show them the wound, they're going to start speculating what it is and what happened, aren't they? <laughs> see, how, uh, see how things work? You know, once you fix the root of the problem, then, you know, then we're talking. Now the wound is healed, isn't it? Sometimes people, though, don't fix the problem. And um, unfortunately, they accept it as being normal. And the person that should be ashamed has no shame, do they? They'll call good evil and evil good. And I believe that's what the Bible refers to as a reprobate mind. Can't seek God if they wanted to, right? I, boy, I don't want to ever get in that position. I don't, Lord, Lord, please don't ever let me get in that position. I hope you don't either. But that's a scary thought, isn't it? A scary place that you could be in. You know, those people, though, they'll, they'll be completely carefree and walk around naked, not realizing that they should be ashamed, but they will reap the consequences of that shame openly and eventually, you know, um, in judgment. You know, the Bible um, talks about those people that they, you know, they, their conscience is seared with a hot iron. There's things on there that they did wrong, but it don't matter to them, does it? Our conscience, you know, God gave us a conscience. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. That conscience reminds us where we stand in the sight of God. Did you ever realize that? It's kind of like a, a scorekeeper, scoreboard, if you will. You're playing a game. Well, the the umpire or the person in the stands there that's in charge of this, they know the score, don't they? But they, you know, the score really doesn't matter till the game's over, does it? Score don't matter till the game's over. But throughout the game, it's important to know where you stand so that you know what you might need to or not need to do in order to win, right? Yeah, that's, that's what our conscience is for. In Genesis chapter 3, 9 through 11, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? <laughs> yeah, he was naked. He was ashamed, wasn't he, that he was naked. But nakedness was only evil because now he had the knowledge of good and evil. See, before that, Adam only had the knowledge of good. So he didn't see anything wrong, right? Couldn't see anything wrong. And therefore, in his conscience, there wasn't anything wrong. And he was in good standing with the sight of God, wasn't he? But... um here we see that Adam did have a healthy conscience, and unfortunately, um, it got put to use um, to record some things that I'm sure he was ashamed of, right? Now, I recently spoke with a believer who says that he's been following Christ for more than 30 years, okay? He said that during this time, he has heard people proclaim both extremes, and those extremes are that some say that they can live up to and do whatever they want. They can live it up, I'm sorry, and do whatever they want. They can send up a storm, right? I've heard Catholics um, can go to the strip club as long as they pay the priest beforehand. <laughs> right? I don't know if that's true or not. Well, I do know it's true because I, I knew someone once I was doing their taxes and they had a, a bill. <laughs> so I don't know if they still do that or not, but I know that they used to do that. Anyhow, um, 
these people, this gentleman was talking about, they, they claim that, you know, once they're quote unquote saved, they can do whatever they want. And it doesn't matter because now they believe in Jesus and they've accepted him. And so they got a, a, a sin license, right? No, wrong. They, they think they can do whatever they want. They're still saved. Well, that's certainly not what we're preaching here. Okay. Let me say that again. We do not agree with that statement in any way, okay? Now, this gentleman, he said the other extreme was um, that people basically say that they needed to keep the letter of the law of Moses, and that's, I think, what the or what people call legalism, okay? Because they say you're trying to keep the law in order to be justified in God's sight. I'm afraid, folks, that neither of these extremes are truth, okay? Grace is grace. Grace is not the keeping of the law, all right? Grace will cleanse you from all sin and unrighteousness. Keeping the law, if you even keep it correctly, would do nothing more, I'm afraid, than cover your sin. And I don't think, I don't know of anyone who still does sacrifices. Maybe they, I'm, I'm sure someone does somewhere, but most people do not, do they? Okay? That's because Jesus, as the word said earlier, the blood of bulls and goats could not forever cleanse their sin. You know, they had to come back every year um, and, and and it couldn't make them perfect. They had to come back every year and, and, and sacrifice again, right? But Jesus, once and for all, made the one and only sacrifice that we need. Okay. Now, um, to debunk the thought that we could be saved by God's grace and still do whatever we please concerning sin, the Bible does say in 1 Corinthians... Chapter 15, verse 34, it says there, awake to righteousness. What does that mean? Wake up to the fact that God and his righteousness is real and, and he, he expects something of you here, okay? It says, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your, guess what, shame. Do you have a covering? Is it covering up your shame? Is it allowing you to Cover up that shame so that you can go out in the public and say that you love God, but yet your your actions prove otherwise? Well, that question's for you. I mean, I can't answer that for you, right? None of my business, really. I'm just here to help. Let's talk about uh, Galatians chapter 5. Um, there in verse 19 through 21, tells us what the works of the flesh are. Works of the flesh, these are the things that your flesh would love to do. And if it had free reign to do whatever it wants, it'll do many of these, right? If not all, okay? It says here, now the works of the flesh are manifest. We've seen them, right? Seen them out in the world. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and guess what? And such like, in case we left anything out, and such like, of the which I tell you before, this isn't the first time you've been warned, okay? If you've been reading God's word, as of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not, it does say shall not, doesn't say shall, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So there you have it, okay? Can't just do whatever you want. And say that you serve God. You can, 
But who are you deceiving? You know, sin is deceitful, right? Do you read that in the Bible? Who are you deceiving? You deceiving yourself? I hope I hope if you're deceiving anyone, it's just yourself and not the people around you too. But I hope you're not being deceived at all. You know. Now on the other hand, Romans chapter three twenty eight says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So what deeds is the law talking about here? Well, you had to keep certain holy days, didn't you? Had to do sacrifices. There was a lot of don'ts in there too. Remember the Ten Commandments? A couple of things that you needed to do, like love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, all thy strength, all thy mind, right? But there's a lot of things like thou shalt not steal. Um, those things you shouldn't do, correct? Amen. Many people call the practice, and that's what they'll tell you, the practice of keeping the law of Moses legalism. Legalism refers to doing what the letter of the law says to do, or more importantly, not doing the things the law condemns. What these people fail to understand is by keeping the law, they are attempting to continue to cover their sin. Remember, the wound covered doesn't heal, does it? The unfortunate thing that is that if their sin is covered, they will never be cleansed. Never, never will get cleansed. Because they don't think they need to do anything else. It's covered up. Nobody can see it. I'm not ashamed. The blood of Jesus. Jesus did it all in Calvary there, right? Their sin will never be washed away and removed because they're, they're trying to keep the law instead of living by grace, by faith in Jesus Christ, okay? Remember, God still sees those sins if they're not being cleansed. Psalms 19.12 says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Amen. Ephesians 5.12 says, For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Psalms 90 verse 8 says, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. God knows, right? God knows. Proverbs 28.13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. For that reason, if God doesn't have mercy on us, what's the what's our end? You know, John uh, fifteen twenty two. If I had not come and spoken unto them, this is Jesus speaking. They had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. They can't cover it anymore. They were keeping the law. They thought their sins were covered, and they were under the law, but Jesus came and expounded to him what the purpose of the law being there was there, why it was there in the first place. Give you an example, um, man lusting after a woman. If he looks on her to lust after her, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart, right? So God's word says it didn't tell him that in the book, in the, in the uh, law of Moses, did it? No. They thought as long as they didn't touch her, they're good, right? But... Jesus shed light on the deeper things, right? The deeper things. Same as God's Spirit will nowadays, you know. God's Spirit then, God's Spirit now, it doesn't change. God is a Spirit, right? God is a Spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and in truth. Isn't that what the Bible says? What might some examples, what might some other examples of covering sin be? All right. Well, lying about it for sure is isn't, isn't trying to cover it up, right? We know we all know that. I think all of us are smart enough to understand that. Um, but there are some other ways that people might be doing this, and they are not even conscious of it. 
What I'm talking about here is outward holiness, okay? Here's what Jesus had to say about these people, and we can read here in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, 28. It says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones, dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Yep, see, they had a big band-aid on their life, didn't they? They had a big band-aid on it, and um, assuming them being religious leaders, that was pretty easy because they just changed the rules, don't they? <laughs> um, I know there's a lot of lot of churches that have done that. Um, they just change the rules to fit whatever it is they're doing so that they're justifying their behaviors, aren't they? But not in God's sight, right? You know, they appeared as white as sepulchers. Think of a building. It's nice and white and beautiful, clean and everything. But Jesus said inside... They're full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness, right? Why is that important? Well, Jesus also explained to us that what's inside of us matters most and first, right? The contents of our heart reveal our true potential or worth in God's sight. Our, I guess you could say our aptitude or our, um, um, our, true, yeah, our true aptitude, what we're, what we're capable of being is in our hearts, okay? If the heart is in God's will, then the rest of our being, spirit and mind and body, and, and you know, like I said, we're, we're a three-part being, will also become cleansed through the operation that God's word, word will perform on us if you continue in it, right? You got to continue. Colossians 2.12 says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Right? So buried with Jesus in baptism, we're baptized, right? There's a water baptism and a spiritual baptism. Remember that. Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. What's that operation? Well, the Bible tells us that he gave power to them that believe to become the sons of God, doesn't it? There in the book of John. What's the difference? Well, you know, if you're dressing and or acting in a picture-perfect, cookie-cutter fashion, it's awful, often a telltale sign of outward holiness only, right? Only. You want to appear to other people a certain way. That doesn't mean that's the way you really are, does it? Inwardly. These things can be persuaded by and, and learned from our parents, siblings, friends, fellow churchgoers, etc. Often, if we're not aware of what's happening... We are shaped and mold, molded by the ideals of these people around us and then held accountable to them rather than God through their judgments, you know, their pride, fear of, of what they think and so on. Okay? We may even, you know, if your daddy says this is bad um, and you're uptown and um, you do this in front of a stranger, you, you assume that the stranger thinks it's bad, right? That's how, that's how this, it's like a brainwashing um, that can take place. And, you know, it, the only way that we can avoid that is to be on God's word for ourselves. okay? Well, folks, this is called the traditions of men. Mark chapter 7, 5 through 9 says, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, 
Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Okay, so the tradition was handed down by their elders, wasn't it? It was told to them, it was taught to them. But if they weren't diligent enough to get into the Bible and read for themselves, then they would never discover, well, hey, Dad, where's the talk about washing hands and pots? I can't find it here. You know, that's not going to happen, is it? I'm not talking about being disrespectful to your elders here. I'm talking about being prudent, okay? You see, they were not washing their dishes because in their heart they wanted to eat from clean plates. They were washing them because in their heart they did not want another person to think that they were not holy and judge them and think that they were not upstanding, God-fearing keepers of what they thought to be part of God's commandments or what they were told were part of God's commandments, right? They don't want to be accused of that. Outward holiness. Afraid of what others think, right? They were taught these things, again, by their elders. Matthew chapter 15, 17 through 20 says, Do ye not yet understand that whatsoever entereth into the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out in the drought? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Now Jesus, you know, set them straight here, but if you notice, a lot of the things he mentioned here are also what we found in Galatians chapter 5. Those are works of the flesh. And Paul told him there, he said, I tell you again, you know, people that do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They shall not inherit the kingdom of God, right? One thing that comes to mind to me concerning this subject is apparel. Why do you wear what you wear? Is it because of what someone else wears or what someone else approves of? Or have you taken this up with the Lord yourself? Here's a common passage that I think or I feel is often taken out of context, okay? First Peter chapter 3, 1 through 4 says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not in word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be the out, that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, a great price, right? You don't want to, what do you want to be known for, right? You don't want to be known for how beautiful you are, do you? You don't want to be known for how rich you are, how much expensive things you can wear, right? Many confession, confessing, confession, confessing Christians also add to this by, off, by defining and prescribing specific items to be worn. 
to the people around them, right? Take um, the Amish people, for instance. My wife and I love to go to the Amish countries. Such a beautiful place. Um, very kind people, and, and, and many of them are God-fearing, I believe. You know, but um, the road to hell, as they say, is paved with good intentions. Um, you can have a, a God-fearing heart, but if you're not fed the truth, you know, you are what you eat. And if you're a lie, you know, no lie <laughs> is going to enter the kingdom of God, is it? All right. But take the Amish, for instance, here. The bishop of each diocese approves specific colors and clothing that can be worn by its members. Did you know that? These are the only colors, by the way, and the only items that can be worn. If we read these verses in context, we find that it is instructing a wife on how to win her unbelieving husband over to Christ. That's what this passage is about, okay? To do so, she must be separate and different from the women he encounters while out rubbing elbows with the sin of this world. So a person might say to defend their, their position, they might say, well, exactly, I shouldn't look like the women of the world. And I would agree in part. I would agree in part. I don't think a godly woman is going to look like a hooker. Do you? Is that what they call them still? You know, it's not going to look like a, 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 a woman that's selling herself on a street corner. She's not going to look that way, is she? She's going to be modest, right? Because God's spirit, if, if she has God's spirit, is not going to allow her to dress immodestly, is it? Right? But the thing is, is this is a spiritual endeavor, folks. It's spiritual. Remember, if you walk in the spirit, you should not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Remember that? Didn't say if you walk in the flesh in holiness outwardly that you should not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, did it? No. But you see here, dressing up in fancy clothing and magnifying her outward beauty is for outward appearance only. And so doing this will only attract him to her physically. Well, hopefully, if he married her, he's already attracted to her physically, right? I mean, I hope so. <laughs> I hope that, 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 you know, God's in this and that he really fell in love with this woman for the right reasons. And if he did and he wasn't physically attracted to her in the beginning, I'm sure that he would be now. So why does she need to continue attracting him? Is it is it because of fear? Is she afraid he's going to run off with another woman? Well, that's all physical. Again, that has nothing to do with winning him over to Christ, does it? You know, so if she's, if, if she's dressing up for him and doing her hair a certain way and wearing costly um, apparel, then... This, and this is the only thing she ever does for her husband. He will never see the inner beauty that Christ has placed within her. Instead, you know, he's going to see the physical beauty and he's going to, he's going to act upon what a woman dresses up for. She's trying to attract someone, right? And if they're married, well, he has a license, doesn't he? And, and I won't go any deeper than that. But if you're a woman and you're trying to follow Christ and you're trying to win over an unbelieving Spouse or husband? I want to say, or I don't. I don't believe in same-sex marriage, by the way. But if you're a woman and you're trying to win an unbelieving husband, okay, dressing up for him and things like that is not going to do it. I'm afraid, and that's what the scripture, this passage in scripture, is telling us. 
instead, you know, you need to focus on more on your actions and your conversation with them, as, as it says here in God's word. Again, you know, being that the truth is in you, of course, I know that I trust that um, any God-fearing women that are listening here, they're not going to go out in, in high heels um, with skirts clear up to their nose and, and things like that, right? We all know that. Um, but they're also not going to go to other extremes to try to look like they're holy either, right? When you walk into the supermarket, do you want everyone there to recognize that you're a child of God? Well, the Bible does tell us to be a light, right? But again, it's, you know, you can appear to be holy on the outside, but it's what's inside that matters. And that's what's truly going to win people over, okay? The conversation, the behaviors, okay? Put that together with someone who is clean, neatly presented, and modest. And then the person that you're interacting with, they're going to see Christ in you, okay? Proverbs 31.30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, shall she shall be praised. Amen. What man do you know that would not welcome a soft answer from his wife? What about shamefacedness or meekness? These come about via the fruits of the Spirit and not the beauty of the flesh, right? Thus, a believing wife's most prominent attributes that she should hope to stand out to her husband are the inward beauty that Christ has placed in her. This will help to attract her husband to Christ if he's a chosen vessel, right? Amen. Okay, so enough on that. But many people deceive themselves also in another way by being more concerned about what others think of them than what God thinks. Always put God first, remember? First commandment. Love God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, everything that's in you, okay? But people, you know, when they put others in front of God, this would be another motive for someone to get wrapped up in outward holiness rather than seeking God's approval first. What's my mama going to think? She might throw me out of the house, right? But, you know, taking things to either extreme, nothing's unclean of itself. If you take things to any extreme, you could be guilty of sin. Just remember that. Because if what you're doing is causing controversy and young converts, whoa, you know? And I'm not trying to condemn anyone here. I'm just saying, why do you do some of the things you do? And, and where in God's word can you find specifically to do them in the specific manner that maybe you've chose to do them, right? There's a lot of things that can fall into this, folks. A lot of things. You know, um, customary manners or donating when everybody else does, um, even though you're not really compelled to support the cause. I'll give you an example. I don't celebrate Christmas. You know, when they're ringing a little bell at Walmart, they greet me when I walk past to go in the door. I greet them too. Hi, how are you? That's all the donation that we're going to get from me because I'm not doing anything in the name of Christ's Mass because I'm not, for one, I'm not Catholic. For two... I don't believe that the Christmas holiday is something that God wants me to celebrate, okay? But, you know, some people would bring up the scripture. There is another scripture. If it, You know, if any man asks anything of you, to give it to him. So there you go. Now what are you going to do? Well, pray. Pray 
And, you know, whatever the Spirit lays on your heart at that moment, but be, be first before you do anything, before you even go out in public, be armed with the sword, be armed with the shield, you know, and, 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 and the helmet, and <laughs> have God's Word in you, okay? Because if it's in you, then it can work. But, you know, don't ta- if you don't take your sword with you, what are you going to fight with? Uh, if you don't take your shield, what are you going to what are you going to um, protect yourself with, right? If you don't hope in salvation, then why are we even here? Why are you listening to this right now, right? But you you got to have God's word in in your heart and your mind. He said He would write them on the tables of our heart. But we have to be willing for this thing. You know, we're here to make a decision. We're here on earth as as people, human beings, to make this decision whether or not we want to follow God or not. Now. The decisions made, I believe firmly, that the decisions made from the time that we first have consciousness until our last breath. And if you add all those things together, that's our decision. Do you ever think about that? Why some people live to be 90? Why do some people live to be 20? That was sufficient time, God. So that's sufficient for that person, right? He knows He knows your heart. He's the, he's the potter. We're the clay. He can do what he wants, right? It's fair. I guarantee it's fair. But you know, like I say, if you're mimicking the behavior of others, don't fall into that trap. Step back. Find out why you're doing what you're doing. You know, um, um, had someone mentioned before about um, when people sneeze. I'll give you an example here of a, a, just a, a manner. We call it a mannerism, okay? People sneeze. Everyone in America, they say, bless you, don't they? What are you blessing them for? You know, the Bible talks in certain places about being careful who you bid God's speed to. If they sneeze, they don't need a blessing. They need a handkerchief, right? Think about those things. We've been, you know, I know I was, and I'm sure many, many of you have been too, even people that aren't in America. Um, Wherever you were raised, you were raised to do certain things, weren't you? And they just seem normal until you start thinking about little behaviors, Little things, you know, God will open you up like a can of worms if you get in his word. You'll find out. You'll find out that some things um, don't make sense, <laughs> right? Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 says, For do I now, now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ, right? All these things said here are meant to open eyes, ears, and hearts of those who truly are seeking God's kingdom for his namesake, right? For his glory, not ours. If you're that person, I'm glad you're here, okay? If you're not that person, I'm still glad you're here, but but I really, uh, I really hope that these things said find a, a place in people's heart that they can, they can learn and grow and um, drive, them to, drive them to God's word, drive you to God's word, okay? Please remember that your personal relationship with him must always come first and that you should seek truth by going to his word for yourself. Do you recall this scripture, uh, James chapter 4, 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, when you say knoweth to do good, there's none good but God. And in the beginning was the word and the word was with God or the word and the word was God, right? God and his word are inseparable. And so <laughs> if you're doing good, is it 
Is it just like those people that were keeping the law back here that were being obedient to God's word? Or are you being obedient to um, your school teacher's word or your um, your grandfather's word or, or your best friend's word? We need to we need to be faithful to God and God alone, right? Well, when I say alone, you know, there's such thing as being faithful to others too. But don't commit to things that God doesn't doesn't like, right? Romans 14, uh, 22 through 23 says, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So if you can't do it with an open conscience towards God, knowing what his word says, then I wouldn't advise you to do it, okay? So what's the alternative to outer holiness, if I if I have to ask that question? What's the alternative? Well, Psalms 119.11 here, it says, Thy word have I hidden my heart, mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Okay. Romans 2, 28 through 29 says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Amen. How do we become one of God's people inwardly? That's a good question, right? Well, by allowing ourselves to be cleansed from all sin. That's how. This is, quote, the operation of God, unquote, through Christ Jesus and his New Testament covenant that we spoke about earlier. We also talked about how the blood of those animal sacrifices made under the law only covered sin, right? Guess what? The blood of Jesus Christ does not cover sin, contrary to what many people in the world will tell you, many people in the church, churches that you may attend might tell you. The blood of Jesus Christ does not cover sin. His blood removes sin. Amen. What does the scripture reveal that his blood represents spiritually? Well, it's God's word. In the book of Mark, chapter 14, 24 and he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. All right? The New Testament, as you know, is the New Testament refers to the New Testament scriptures, the testament and will that Jesus Christ left to us when he left this earth, right? Jesus shed his blood to put the New Testament covenant into effect. This is his will written in his own blood before his death through the things that he taught. The blood is in the life of the in the life that's being shed. He preached and lived the life that he chose to give us. We in turn are to live the same life now under the grace of his word. Jesus is the word of God. God and his word are the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 10:4 and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Quote that earlier for you. John 1, 10 through 14. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. They say, how, how was the world made by Jesus? Well, did you read the book of Genesis? Did you read John 1, 1 that we just talked about? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. You know, God spoke. 
Let there be light. Guess what happened? Light was there. It was made by his word. It was made by Jesus Christ, okay? He was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So now we were all born of blood, right? All born into this world, in the flesh even, not in the will of flesh. We were born in the will of of the workings of the flesh to begin with. But we're talking about the spiritual birth where Jesus told Nicodemus, you know, you must be born again. That's the birth he's referring to here. He gave us power to be born again, to become a new creature in Christ, okay? And then it goes on here, and the word, what word? Jesus Christ was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And God doesn't just forgive and then leave you there rotting in your sin. No. We serve a God that's much greater than that, much better to us than that, okay? Guess what he does after he forgives your sin? Well, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guess what all unrighteousness is? It's sin. Folks, sin. Sin is rebellion against God's word. It's the opposite of obedience to God's word. If you're living in sin, guess what? You're not keeping God's word, are you? But if you're not living in sin, then you're obedient to God's word. And the blood of Jesus Christ shall cleanse us from all unrighteousness, okay? How does he do this? Well, grace works to cleanse us from sin through the same means as the law of Moses covered our sins. That is, through our obedience. If you're obedient to the law of Moses, guess what? It'll cover your sin, but it won't anymore because it's not in effect. (laughs) There's that. But it used to cover the sin. If you're obedient to the law of grace, the truth that Jesus brought, if you keep the word, or the words, I should say, of Jesus Christ, then you're obedient, right? And it will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You see, the law is full of do's and don'ts. It can be likened to a parent's way of discipline with a small or young child. Okay? Before the age of accountability, when a child has a good understanding of consequences and can discern between right and wrong, before that, they they, they can't, right? The parents have to teach them the word no, right? N-O, no. There are things that young children simply should not and cannot be allowed to do or to continue to do, right? An effective parent, according to God's word, will use correction to overcome and overpower their children's rebellious nature. They're going to get them into obedience, aren't they? They're going to force them into obedience. And they're not going to, you're not going to explain, I'm not going to explain to Johnny why he can't stick his finger in a light socket when he's two, because he don't understand, does he? I'll try, but he's still going to have to be disciplined, right? When the child disobeys, they are usually immediate and sometimes severe consequences that they will experience by a, by a um, strict parent, anyhow. Okay. If the parent fails, though, to hold their child accountable, they will often personally experience the consequence. We know that's true, right? One way or another. 
As a young child, therefore, they are not behaving because it is not their will to do so. <laughs> Rebellion is bound in the heart of a child, right? But the rod of correction shall drive it far from them. Amen. They're not behaving because it is in their heart to do good at first. That's not why they're behaving when they do behave when they're young. They're behaving because of the fear and the love for their parents and the fear of the consequences that they've witnessed of their parents in the past, right? You might say that their parents are teaching them right from wrong through the things that they either allow or the things that they do not allow. The parents are their schoolmaster, therefore, if you will, teaching them the difference between good and evil. That's what they're doing when you're bringing up a child. You're teaching them right from wrong. That's what you're doing. You're teach not only doing that, but what's that old saying, practice makes perfect? If you teach a child long enough, they won't depart from it. You know why they won't depart from it? It's because they they start learning and they start getting developing discernment for themselves. They can see a situation and they can make a judgment on their own. They don't need their parent anymore. They can make a judgment on their own. Is this right or wrong? Now, that doesn't mean that they'll always choose the right. Okay, I'm not saying that. Um, what I'm saying is the parent at first, the child, I'll give you an example. A child doesn't know it's not okay to smack mommy or daddy's hand, do they? When they do it, it's innocent. They're mimicking a behavior, perhaps, if you smack their hands or touching something they shouldn't, right? They don't know right from wrong yet. You've got to teach them what that is, okay? Once they get enough um, experience, if you will, understanding, well, now they kind of understand the why behind things, and now they're going to they're gonna be able to draw their own conclusion of right and wrong, hopefully. Once a child's been trained up in the way that they should go and have a good knowledge of what is appropriate and what is not, they are now personally responsible for their actions. Therefore, now they're able to make their own choices, aren't they? Before, they couldn't make their own choices. You chose what they could do. You chose what they couldn't do, didn't you? <clears throat> kind of like the law of Moses. God told them what to do. He told them when to do it, and he told them what not to do, didn't he? And there were some severe consequences, and they were carried out, guess what, by people, by fellow men, <laughs> if they didn't keep the law, because the law pertained to the flesh, just like us training a young child up to the age of accountability, okay? Now, you know, once they become accountable, once they can discern from good and evil, they now have the freedom. They've been freed, from, you know, they grow up and they move out of your house. They've been freed from your law, right? Freed from the law of your household. They now have freedom to do whatever they want, whatever their heart desires, don't they? You have no say-so anymore. You're not going to. You still believe what you believe. You still believe what's right and what's wrong, that you believed what was right and wrong before. They still know what you think is right and what you think is wrong. And they may still have some things tied to home. What if they're still in their car insurance or something? They could still have consequences, right? But now they have a lot more freedom, don't they? And they can choose the good or the evil. The, their conscience, though, will bear witness and keep record, won't it? Sometimes they can do things wrong and there may not be an immediate consequence now that they're an adult. They say, no one's seen me do it. Well, God did, <laughs> right? 
Rest assured, though, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Okay. In the same way, once we are converted to Christ, God's Spirit coming into our hearts, we are now free from the law of sin and death because God's Spirit teaches us the things of God, doesn't it? It teaches us right from wrong. It, it reveals the deeper things of God. Now you might say we're free from the law of sin and death. And what we're free from is we're free to choose the good, where in the past we maybe couldn't. Maybe our flesh had control, right? Through the grace found within his word, if we are seeking him there, we'll find it, okay? He enables us to learn to bring our mind and body into subjection to become faultless before him. Now, a lot of people won't believe that, but it's the truth. And you can find it in his word, and you can experience it for yourself if you actually become obedient to it, okay? Prior to this conversion, though, our flesh was stronger than our mind, just like a child's will is. Their will is to do, you know, they're born into sin. Their will is to do evil, if you will. I mean, really. Their will is to be, you know, do good and evil, actually. And because they have the knowledge of both, right? Um, they just don't understand the consequences or the difference, right? But they'll do either. It's kind of like a sinner never heard of Christ. They don't understand consequences, right? They don't understand that there's a, a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, do they? Right? But, you know, prior to our conversion, our flesh is stronger than our mind. And since our flesh is connected to this world and therefore prone to sin, it will overcome our mind and force us to do things that a repentant heart would not want. So you may say, I really want to serve God. I really love the things of God. I really want to do right by Him. But yet, you keep finding yourself doing things that you shouldn't be doing, right? Well, we just have to understand how these things work. That's all it is. Acts 15, 8 through 9 says, And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them. And what did he do? Purifying their hearts by faith. All right. So they called out on God, confessing their sins. When he came to convert them, he gave them a spirit. He came into their heart, didn't he? Purifies their heart by faith. We think with our heart. Remember, Jesus said, that's where all the evil thoughts come from was our heart. But if God's spirit dwells there, guess what thoughts we're going to have now? They're going to be good thoughts, aren't they? Romans 8.16 says, The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, you can get yourself in a place if you've been converted, and I hope you do. Um, you can get yourself in a place where your spirit and God's spirit become one, right? You have the mind of Christ. You perceive things the way that he would. And you react to them in the same manner as what he would, okay? Doesn't mean you're not your own person. Doesn't mean that you like asparagus and he didn't. I don't know if he did or not, but that's not the, the part of it. It's, it's, it's really discernment and behavior, okay? How does God's spirit bear witness with our spirit? Our conscience, guys, our conscience. <laughs> our spirit is our mind, Ephesians 4.23 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's what I was talking about a moment ago. Okay, What is it bearing witness of? Well, it's bearing witness, our conscience is bearing witness of what's inside of us. Where is the proof of what's inside of us? It's in the fruit we produce, if you will, or you could say our actions. 
Matthew 7.20 says, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Right? John 15, 5-11, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If you don't have God's Spirit, you can't do a thing. Right? You can't. You can't fight against sin. Not, not on a spiritual level. Okay? If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, there's the key right there, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full, right? We share things with Christ, right? We share things with God. We share his word. We share his joy. Behold, all things are yours, right? Now to address those that have been deceived into thinking that they can live a life of sin and still be saved, what happened to the tree that Jesus could not find fruit on? Remember that? Matthew 21, 19 has an account of it here. It says, And when he saw the fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let not fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. Boy, that's scary, isn't it? Mm. 1 Corinthians ten twelve says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. God's the judge, not us. Right? Matthew twenty four thirteen, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. There's some enduring to be done here, guys, and it's to the end, not to the moment in time when you repented. Ask God to forgive you of sin. That's not that's not enduring. Okay. First Thessalonians five twenty two through twenty three says, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you. Holy, which means completely in the here, it's W-H-O-L-L-Y. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's in this lifetime, guys. 1 Corinthians 2, 9-10 through 10 says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Amen. John 6, 6, 3. It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are Spirit and they are life. That's Jesus Christ speaking right there, okay? Galatians 5, 25 through 26. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Luke chapter 11, 9 through 13. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give... For a fish him a serpent? serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? 
If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Why didn't he say something else there? Why didn't he say, um, give a new car to them that ask him? Why? Is because the Holy Spirit is the gift that we need from God, folks. It will reveal that power that Christ gives us to become a son of God, okay? That should be the one and only gift that you're seeking um, if you don't already have it, okay? Galatians 2, 16 through 20, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, there, there it is, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. Christ doesn't teach sin, does he? He doesn't help us carry out sin? No. Exact opposite. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what faith is? Faith is a combination of belief and trust. If Christ tells you to jump off a cliff, do you trust him? Well, you know where the proof is? The proof would be you jumping off the cliff, wouldn't it? What's going to happen? I don't know, but whatever happens, if Christ told me to do it, it's going to be okay, right? Because I trust him. I have faith in him. I know that he won't mislead me, right? So the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God. Just keep his word. That's it. That's all he asks. Be obedient, okay? We have said all these things now to say this, okay? I'm going to read another scripture to you. 2 Corinthians 7.1. It says there, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen. You don't have to cleanse the heart because if, if you're a child of God and you've repented and been baptized and God's converted you, then he's taking care of that our ears, right? But it's up to us, per God's word, to first be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And then now it's two against one, right? Your heart and your mind is going to keep that flesh under subjection, isn't it? All right, you can reach me at rob at intruth.site or on facebook.com slash believe, trust, obey. That's all one word, believe, trust, obey. I'd like to close reading Ephesians chapter 6, 23 through 24. It says there, Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. 